want to learn how to manage your own investments? Are you ready to stop paying investment management fees and start building wealth? The DIY Investing Podcast is dedicated to providing you with the knowledge, skills, and resources you need to be a better investor. Learn how to make investments through the use of fundamental analysis, mental models, and business management insights. Now, here's your host, value investing expert, Trey Henninger. Hello and welcome to the DIY Investing Podcast. My name is Trey Henniger and I'm your host. In today's episode, I want to discuss interest rates and discount rates. These are key factors that go into the valuations that we use as investors and the returns which we will receive both now and in the future. I think this is a relevant topic for everyone to be interested in, especially because I've seen a lot of discussion about it in recent days. Before I dive in, I want to make a short request. If you haven't already, please hit subscribe on your podcast player or hit subscribe and like this video on YouTube if you're listening on YouTube. Thank you for listening and let's dive right on in. So today's focus is on zero interest rates and what investors should do in the face of zero interest rates. I thought about doing this episode because there's been much discussion both on Twitter and throughout various investing articles that I have been reading talking about the impact and fallout of zero interest rates. There's a concept called T-I-N-A or TINA or there is no alternative, which is talked about in terms of why people should buy stocks even when stock prices are high. And that is because there is, quote, no alternative that can allow you to earn a decent return on your capital. And this is because interest rates are so low that bond prices are low and it makes bonds unattractive. If bonds offer a 2% rate of return or a 1% rate of return or a 3% rate of return, that's unattractive for long-term investors because investors should expect inflation to be at least 2 3 maybe even 4% across a long period of time. If you're looking out over the next 30 years, it would be foolish to assume that inflation will run at anything less than 4%, which has been the long-term average over the last 100, 200 years. Now, over any short-term time frame, 3, 5, 10, 20 years, this may or may not be true. It's almost impossible to predict inflation rates going into it. And because you cannot predict interest rates in advance or inflation rates in advance, it's important to use long-term averages in your decision making, which is why when we think about inflation, it's critical to use this long-term rate of 4%. That's what I use. Anywhere between 3 to 5% is probably a reasonable rate. Um, even though current government-stated inflation rates are somewhere in the range of 1% or 2%. Now, how does this all play in? Well, when we think about zero interest rates, what most people are talking about is the interest they can receive on the money that they have in the bank, or they think about it in terms of the Fed. So this the Fed is most often thought of by investors, and interest rates that people receive at the bank is thought of by consumers. Now, 
It should be easily relatable for all investors to also think about it from the consumer point of view, but these don't always match up. So the interest rate that the Fed has set the Federal Reserve overnight rate as is a 0%, or technically 0 to 0.25% is the overnight lending rate that the Federal Reserve of the United States is offering to Federal Reserve banks to be able to borrow money at. So large United States-based banks are able to borrow money at basically 0% from the Federal Reserve, and then they can use that money to lend out to other people. They can lend it out to other banks. They can lend it out to consumers. But basically, they have a borrowing cost right now of 0%. That does not mean that everyone has a borrowing cost of 0%, and this is going to be important as I discuss a little bit later on, but it does mean that these super large banks that have access to the overnight lending rate of the Federal Reserve have a 0% borrowing rate. Now let's look at it from the consumer's point of view. And this is critical because you have to always think in terms of the consumer and the, the bank side when you're talking about interest rates, but you also need to think about it in terms of the consumer, banks, and the companies, and that's how we're going to look at it today. So the consumer's point of view, when the interest rates drop, it's a negative for savers and a positive for debtors. Um, so the interest rates dropping to zero means that anyone who is saving money, being prudent, putting money aside in the bank, is going to see a lower return on their investment in the bank. So when you put your money into a savings account, that savings account interest rate is determined based on market rates. Um, some banks are going to offer higher interest rates in order to attract consumers um, to save with them. And then other banks are going to offer lower interest rates um, for various reasons. They don't need to attract new bank customers. They already have plenty of bank customers or they're trying to attract them for non-interest rate reasons like customer service, um, offering multiple products like credit cards or mortgages or car loans, those sorts of things. So when you look at it as a saver, it's a negative for you when interest rates drop. So you're going to be disincentivized to save is what the Federal Reserve is trying to do when interest rates drop. Because the Federal Reserve says, hey, what we're trying to do when we drop interest rates is we're trying to cause people to spend more money into the economy. We want to say, hey, on the front first order effect, if the interest rate drops on your savings account, and it goes from 5% down to 0%. Now, it wasn't as at 5%, it was more at the 2% range. But let's say you drop the interest rate from 2% to 0%. What the Federal Reserve is trying to do is it's trying to tell Americans, we want you to spend money to go out and buy things. We want you to buy a new refrigerator. We want you to replace the roof on your house. We want you to buy a new car. We want you to buy a house. We want you to spend your money in order to cause the economy to improve. So as a first order effect, this tends to work in the sense that the first order effect of dropping interest rates is an disincentivizes savings because the consumer is going to look at that. They're going to say, hey, do I have a better preference for saving money when interest rates are 0% or when interest rates are 2%? Well, if, interest, if my bank only offers me a 0.01% interest rate on my bank account, which I'm going to call 0% because unless you have multiple millions of dollars, you're basically earning nothing. And if you are earning multiple millions of dollars and you have them in a savings account, you're making a mistake anyway. So we'll just say that this is a 0% return on your savings. 
versus a 2% return on your savings is better. If you have $10,000 in the bank, that's $200 um, every year from that savings. That's not insignificant as a form of savings for a simple amount, but it makes a bigger difference if you're talking something like 5 or 5% on your bank savings account, then you're talking about a $1,000 or $500 per year for a th- for the $10,000 in savings. So that was long-winded, more long-winded than I wanted to be, but that's the first order effect. But what's the second order effect? Well, most people save money for a reason. You really save money for two reasons. One, for short-term goals, and two, for long-term goals. Well, short-term goals are stuff like an emergency fund. Protect yourself from downside, from um, downtrends in the economy. Um, other things would be buying a car, saving up for down payment of a house, um, saving up for um, short-term purchases. You want to buy a new iPhone. You want to buy um, anything. Pick Name your pick. The new shoes, new car, whatever. Those are short-term savings goals. Long-term saving goals are stuff like retirement, um, financial independence, those sorts of things. So when you look at these two facts, though, some of those things matter more than others. When we think about short-term savings goals, your emergency fund. If your emergency fund interest rate is 0% or 2% or 5%, it should make zero difference on your influencing you to want to save that emergency fund. Emergency funds are just as valuable whether the interest rate is 0%, 5%, 10%, or 30%. In fact, emergency funds tend to be even more valuable when the interest rate is lower. And the reason for this is that the government, through the Federal Reserve, tends to want to influence interest rates to be lower at zero when the economy is doing worse which means that the value of an emergency fund increases when interest rates go closer to zero. So this would be a second order effect of dropping the interest rates to zero is people are going to be more incentivized to keep and not spend emergency fund money. That's not true for other terms like a car. So if your short-term savings goal is a car, then dropping interest rates closer to zero means that you're more influenced to take that money out of the bank account and buy the car quicker than you would if the savings account was offering you a good savings rate. But let's talk about long-term goals. And this is where I think the Federal Reserve makes a mistake because what they see is, okay, we're trying to encourage people to save less money and spend more money by reducing the interest rate from 2% to 0%. On the surface, this means that you have a front-loaded incentive not to save as much money and more and basically spend more money now. On the other hand, a prudent saver, which most savers are, is they're thinking about the future, they're thinking about future retirement, would say, okay, interest rates are lower. Instead of being able to earn a 2% return on my savings, I'm now getting a 0% return on my savings. Or if we translate this reduction in return from stocks, from a savings account to something like stocks, the Federal Reserve is saying, Instead of having a 10% return on your stocks, you're now going to have an 8% return on your stocks or a 6% return on your stocks. And that's what they're causing in part by reducing the interest rate from 2% to 0% because they're causing people to put more and more money into stocks instead. Now, what happens with that? I've had conversations with my family about this when I'm trying to save for my retirement. And what I look at is if I have prospective returns in the stock market that are now 8%, Instead of 10%, I need to save more money 
than I did three months ago to achieve the same retirement goals because now my prospective return is lower. So the second order effect of lowering interest rates is to cause extra prudent long-term savers to save more money and spend less money. And this is an interesting part where the, the actions of the Federal Reserve are counteracting their intended goal. Their intended goal is to cause people to save less money and spend more money. But instead, they're causing the savers that want to achieve certain rates of return to need to save even more money to still hit those goals. So by lowering the interest rate, they're actually causing a counteracting effect and causing consumption to decrease even more amongst certain groups, while they might cause consumption to increase amongst other groups. So this is just a little interesting um, way of thinking about it that I thought was prudent for or was worthwhile for other investors to hear because the mainstream story you hear about interest rates and particularly zero interest rates fails to discuss this fact that lower interest rates can actually cause people to need to save more money than they otherwise would. And I think it's an important fact. And it's why, and it's my lead in to this next point on discount rate. So what is our discount rate? I've talked about discount rate in many occasions before. And what the discount rate is, it's the rate of return that you use when evaluating stocks to determine the valuation. The technically correct way to value a company is that it is the discounted cash flows for the entire future back to the present using your discount rate. So you take all the cash flows that a company will produce and pay out to shareholders in the form of dividends, and you discount them back to the present. And you have to discount them using a certain percentage rate that says money in the future is worth a different amount than money today. And that's what your discount rate is. So your discount rate is saying that if we choose a discount rate of 10%, then we're saying that a dollar today is 10% more valuable than a dollar next year. Or it's 20 or it's 50% more valuable than a dollar 5 years from now. Now the numbers are a little different, or sorry, 50% more valuable than a dollar seven years from now is a closer way of estimating it. So basically every seven years, the value of a dollar is dropping by 50%. But it also is built into this idea, this is why companies need to be growing their earnings in order to keep up with your discount rate. But your discount rate is also and should be chosen to be your required rate of return. Because what's going to happen is when you determine the intrinsic value of a stock and you say the intrinsic value of a stock is $100 per share, That means if you buy the stock at $100 per share and your analysis is correct, then your $100 per share, then your stock purchase should grow in value by 10% a year for the rest of the, for in perpetuity as you hold that stock, because that's going to give you a 10% return as long as you buy it at $100 per share or less. That's how these discount rates should work. So how do you choose a discount rate? Well, I did a whole episode on choosing a discount rate. You can look in my archives for that. But the basic thing is that your discount rate should match what your required rate of return is. And that can vary from person to person. Some people need a 4% rate of return to achieve their investing goals. Some people need a 6%. Some need a 10%. Some need a 15%. Some need a 20% goal. Now, it's always best to be realistic. 
But my view on discount rates does not match the mainstream view. The mainstream view is that when interest rates drop, your discount rate should drop. And that's because they're calculating discount rate as basically an equity premium over the risk-free rate that you can attain through government bonds. And so let's say your equity premium is 4%. So if government bonds provide a 5% rate of return, then you add 4% on top of that, and that is a 9% rate of return, which means your equity should get 9%, while the 10-year treasury gives you 5%. But it also means that as the 10-year treasury drops from 5% to 1%, like it is today, it's around 1%, then your 4% equity yield stays there, and then you should expect only a 5% rate of return from equities because your discount rate should drop to 5%, and you still have a 4% difference between 5% and 1%. Now, that's a lot of numbers thrown at you. Um... But, you know, if my audience is self-selecting enough, then they'll understand that I like to use numbers in my podcast. But I think it's important to illustrate here. What did I just do? Dropping the discount rate from 9% to 5% because the interest rates drops would cause the intrinsic value of a stock that you're analyzing to rise. If you only need a 5% rate of return from your investment, then the intrinsic value is much higher than if you need a 9% rate of return from your investment. The difference is, just because the intrinsic value has gone up does not mean your rate of return is going up. In fact, your rate of return is going down. Intrinsic value and discount rate are, they act counter to each other. As you increase the discount rate, you decrease intrinsic value. And as you decrease the the discount rate, you increase intrinsic value. So you have to be very, 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 very careful changing your discount rate because what it will do is it will tell you that the price you can pay for a stock is changing. That is mathematically accurate. It's a mathematical certainty that as you make that adjustment to your discount rate, your intrinsic value calculation will be different. Now, I'm not telling you to actually do this DCF calculation. A lot of times I don't, or I do a very simplified back of the envelope calculation, basically something along the lines of, well, my dividend is 2%. Um, stocks are growing at, the earnings are growing 10% a year. So 2% plus 10% is 12% per year. And so I can expect a 12% rate of return from that investment. That's technically a discount rate, a, d- a discounted cash flow calculation using the Gordon dividend growth model. But it's not the same thing as plugging it all into Excel. But the key point here is, is that you need to be careful about changing your discount rate. When you change your discount rate, you're changing the expected return that you will receive in your investments. You will earn less money from your investments if you reduce your discount rate. So you need to be very careful when you do that. And I don't believe zero interest rates should cause you to do so. Now, why? Now, I've already shown you the answer earlier in this podcast. Earlier in this podcast, I talked about when you're a saver, and most people listening to this investment podcast are savers. They're saving money for goals. And if you're investing your money, it's almost always for a long-term goal like retirement or financial independence. That means you listening to this today are thinking about retirement and financial independence. That means you have a goal. You've set yourself a goal to save a certain amount of money. Let's call it a million dollars. 
But see, a million dollars isn't helpful because what people really do is they spend money when they're in retirement or they spend money when they're financially independent at a certain rate. And what they're trying to do is cover their expenses. Now, if their expenses are $100,000 a year, then you need to know how much money do I need to be able to say to be able to spend $100,000 a year. Well, in order to spend $100,000 a year, you need to figure out how much money can I withdraw from my account each year. And there's a good number that's out there called a 4% uh, withdrawal rate that's been studied and you can you can do the research yourself. I don't really like the 4% withdrawal rate, but it makes my numbers round even. I like it a little lower. I would target a rate of 3% or 3.5%, I think is a little bit better than a 4% withdrawal rate. But let's use 4% for our example. So the inverse of a 4% withdrawal rate is 25. That means you need to multiply your annual expenses by 25, and that tells you how much money you need to save in order to cover all those expenses. So $100,000 times 25 is $2.5 million in savings. So let's say that's your goal, $2.5 million. So if you're trying to save $2.5 million, you don't have $2.5 million today. Maybe you have $100,000 today. You're trying to save $2.5 million. Well, if you need to save $2.5 million, what you have to do is think about, well, how much money am I saving each year? And then what interest rate am I going to earn on my investments each year? And then how many years do I need to save until I reach $2.5 million? Well, if you change your investment rate of return from 12% to 8%, that's going to drastically increase the number of years you need to work. So why would you want to do that if interest rates are dropping? Interest rates are going to influence you to need to work more years. That's what the Federal Reserve is doing when they lower interest rates to zero. When interest rates go from 2% to 0% or 4% to 0% or whatever number you want, when the interest rates drop to zero, the Federal Reserve and the U.S. government or your local government, if you're outside of the U.S., are taking years from your life and forcing you to work longer in order to achieve the same savings goal. Which means, if you lower your discount rate, the only thing that you are doing is one of two options. You're either changing your goals, or you're prolonging your goals. Your goals either have to change to the new reality, of lower interest rates, which, mean you're, which means you're going to adjust your discount rate, you're going to lower it, and say, you know what, I don't really have an option, and I just have to deal with lower returns, but it also means I'm going to have to work longer, or you're going to have to change your behavior, and you're going to have to save more money. And so the question is, do you want to do that? Or do you say, okay, the game's gotten harder, I need to be just as stringent or more stringent on my investments to make sure I can still achieve my goals. That's the tack I take. There's a limit to how much you can save, and there's a limit to how high your rate of return can go. But as long as your original discount rate was reasonable, 
I don't think you should be reducing it in the face of zero interest rates because someday interest rates will be higher. But once you make an investment, you're locked into the rate of return on that stock. The rate of return you receive on investment is based upon your purchase price. And you're going to purchase a stock based upon whatever discount rate you're using because that determines the intrinsic value you calculate. And the biggest harm that zero interest rates can do to you is cause you to lower that discount rate because it will mean that you're going to permanently accept lower rates of return in the future because of that one decision. So if you've calculated that you need a 10% rate of return to achieve your investment goals, if you're trying to save a million dollars, $2 million, $3 million, and you're going to do that in 20 years or 25 years, but you need a 10% rate of return to do that, don't simply change that discount rate below 10% because interest rates have dropped. Instead, keep it at 10%, be more focused on finding even better stock choices because there's plenty of them out there that will be able to meet your discount rate if you don't change it. And that is the way to focus and adjust during zero interest rates. In fact, I think it's best to do that and probably also save more money. It's not what the Federal Reserve wants you to do, but it will help your family do better if you focus on saving money and keeping your hurdle rates for investment high. So thank you for listening to this podcast. I hope this has been helpful to you. I hope this has caused you to come up with a new way of thinking about interest rates, zero interest rates, and your required discount rate. The full show notes for this episode, including my outline for today's podcast, are available at diyinvesting.org slash episode 80. Please remember this is a listener-supported podcast. You can find out more at diyinvesting.org slash patron. And don't forget to leave this show a rating and review in your podcast player and click the subscribe button on your podcast player. Also, hit the like and subscribe button on YouTube if you're listening on YouTube. Thank you for listening. And until next time, stop paying fees, start building wealth. Thank you for listening to the DIY Investing Podcast. Please visit our website and subscribe to our email list at DIYinvesting.org for guides, videos, and resources to help make you a better investor. The DIY Investing Podcast is presented for general informational and entertainment purposes only. I have not considered your specific situation or risk profile, and I have not provided investment advice. The information presented on the DIY Investing Podcast should not be construed as investment advice. The views and opinions expressed on the DIY Investing Podcast are those of the participants and do not necessarily reflect those of the show's host or sponsors. DIY Investing, its producers, sponsors, and host, Trey Henniger, shall not be liable for losses resulting from investment decisions based upon information or viewpoints presented on the DIY Investing Podcast.